Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at the New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From The New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. As tensions heighten between the United States and North Korea, North Korea is literally parading ballistic missiles down its streets to demonstrate its military strength. The U.S. is combating the nuclear threat in two connected ways, through diplomacy and through sabotage. It's Monday, April 17th. We begin with sabotage. Hello? David, it's Michael Barbaro. Hey, how are you? Good. Welcome home from Moscow. Thank you. David Sanger is just back from Russia and right back at it. David, what happened with this missile launch in North Korea over the weekend? Well, what happened, Michael, was they had another pretty spectacular failure. Mm. It went off course, went right off into the ocean just seconds after launch. That's significant because they've had a whole series of these. And because they know at this point that what scares the United States the most is the likelihood that North Korea, at some point in the next few years, will be able to shrink its nuclear weapons down to a size that they can fit under the nose cone of one of these missiles and design a missile that can reach most cities in the United States. So they've been having trouble. And it was a particular embarrassment because it came just hours after they had this remarkable parade through the middle of Pyongyang, the capital, showing off all of their new missile designs mm -hmm. from short range to medium to big, long intercontinental missiles that could reach the United States. And what was so significant about the timing of all of this? Well, the timing of the parade and the launch was set to the 105th birthday of Kim Il-sung the country's founder and founder of the North Korean nuclear program. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the was the grandfather of uh, the current head of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. And he's such a revered figure. People are wearing buttons with Kim Il-sung's image on it, uh, that Kim Jong-un has done everything he can to wrap his own persona in his grandfather's. Mm -hmm. He's cut his hair to look like his grandfather. He's worn the same kind of suits. And when you're in North Korea, you see propaganda posters that have the two of them side by side. David, back to these two failures in a row. I want to talk about why that might be happening. What's behind the failures? Well, the biggest speculation in Washington is whether we're behind the failures. The United States. Um, the United States. Uh, you may recall, and we talked about it mm -hmm. uh, at length on The Daily, that my colleague Bill Broad and I published a story about a program in the United States, a secret program they've had underway, called Left of Launch. Mm -hmm. The phrase means 
stopping a launch before it happens or just in its early seconds. It's many forms of sabotage, everything from shipping in bad parts to having internal spies to using cyber or electronic warfare to disable a missile before it ever takes off. So when you see the pattern that we saw on Sunday, which was a missile that went off course basically seconds after takeoff, you have to wonder, is this coincidental? Okay, so naturally, I have to ask, is U.S. sabotage what we think happened this weekend? For any individual launch, Michael, it's very hard to tell the cause. The North Koreans are not the most careful manufacturers in the world. Right. Bad welds or bad luck could account for it. But when you see cumulative numbers like this, and you know, as we know from our reporting, that President Obama ordered a surge in this program in early 2014, and the numbers started right. going up after that, you have to assume that some large number of those launches were not coincidental. So you just mentioned President Obama. He started this program, left of launch. Do we know if President Trump is doubling down on this, is intensifying it? Every indication we have, and most of it is in winks and nods, is that he is. And that makes sense because, let's face it, if your other military option is a preemptive strike to which the North Koreans react by unleashing artillery shells on Seoul and you lose a city of... Mm -hmm. uh, more than 10 million people. Yeah, anything you can do that looks like a more subtle way of getting at their program seems like uh, a viable alternative. Finally, David, Trump is also talking about working with China to try to combat North Korea's missile and nuclear threat. I'm wondering from all your many decades of reporting on this, whether you think that sabotage or diplomacy is likely to be more effective. History suggests that sabotage and economic sanctions increase your chances of being successful diplomatically. Hmm. If a country believes that the economic pain they're going through is so great and the sabotage is so successful that they're not likely to get to their goal anyway, then coming to a negotiated end can make a lot of sense. And that's essentially was the formula that worked in the case of Iran. The reason the Iranians came to the table was they could no longer bear the pain of the cutoff of much of their oil exports and the Stuxnet virus that ended up crippling their nuclear enrichment capability made it pretty clear to them that the United States did not plan to sit by idly and let them build a large nuclear arsenal. So the two go hand in hand. And, you know, the phrase for this is coercive diplomacy. Hmm. That's a new one for me. David, we're going to keep this in mind. As we continue to talk about this on this episode, thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Michael. Over the weekend, the Trump administration said it had good intelligence about the launch, both in advance and afterwards, suggesting that the U.S. had the information it would have needed to take covert action against North Korea's launch. But the White House declined to answer questions about whether such interference occurred. We'll be right back. This fall, History is happening. September 14th, 2021. Hamilton, the Tony, Grammy, Olivier, and Pulitzer Prize-winning musical, returns to Broadway. Tickets are on sale now. Performances begin September 14th. Hamilton, back on Broadway at the Richard Rogers Theater. Learn more at hamiltonmusical.com. The second half of coercive diplomacy is 
diplomacy. Well, this latest missile test it just fits into a pattern of provocative and destabilizing and threatening behavior. On Sunday, President Trump's national security advisor, Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster, pointed to one foreign power in particular, whom the United States sees as a key diplomatic partner in battling North Korea's nuclear program. And I think there's an international consensus now, including, including uh, the Chinese and the Chinese leadership. And so we're working together with our allies and partners and with the Chinese leadership to develop a range of options. And to talk about those options. Hi, can you hear us okay? I can. Oh, boy. Max and Amanda, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having us. Sure. We called up the interpreters, Max Fisher and Amanda Taub. Interpreter time. Oh, boy. Is one of our favorite times. It's always interpreter time for us. Yeah. It's true. Like, I can't I can't turn off the interpretation. <laughs> yeah. For us, this is daily time, which we also like. Um, so from what I can tell, President Trump's strategy for dealing with the North Korean nuclear threat is heavily reliant on China. And I want you to explain what the relationship is between North Korea and China and how far back it goes. So they are nominally very close allies, but it's a super complicated relationship and neither of them is actually that happy with it. Hmm. Um, I mean, they kind of got backed into this by the Cold War. You know, the way this started, of course, is that after World War II, the Korean Peninsula is divided, American occupation in the south, Soviet occupation in the north. The north, led by Kim Il-sung, invades the south to try to reconquer all of it and basically forces the Soviet Union to back him. And then China intervenes itself to stop the Americans from occupying all of Korea. So, like, Americans forget this, even though Chinese do not, but we actually fought a war with China on the Korean Peninsula uh, about 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the kind of half century after that was mostly one of North Korea being a Soviet proxy. Its relationship with China was really complicated. Um, the North Korean state is explicitly race-based and looks down on the Chinese people. I didn't know that. And um, Chinese people actually don't like that very much, as it turns out. Can't imagine why. So the relationship really entered a new era. Mikhail Gorbachev's dreams of holding the Soviet Union together may have received a death blow today. After the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. Mm -hmm. Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev has been removed from power. After six and a half years in power, Mikhail Gorbachev confirmed his resignation on television tonight. And North Korea all of a sudden was all on its own up against South Korea, which is far richer, more prosperous, and backed by the superpower United States. And that's when they kind of tried to start building this new great power client relationship with China. But China is not really into it in the way that the Soviet Union was. Right. The Soviet Union wanted to be this great power with all of these proxies and allies around the globe. China really just wanted to prevent there being a giant catastrophe on its border and just kind of wanted to maintain this tentative status quo. Uh, and they have this saying in Chinese policy, no war, no nukes, no instability. Those are their three priorities for Korea in mm. that order. So they just like don't want a big hassle. But that has backed them into supporting this North Korean state that is like nominally communist in the way that China is kind of nominally communist and like sure they both would like to reduce American power in Asia but it's really a alliance of convenience. But what's the basis for the alliance? Is this a set of economic trade deals? Like what, what sustains it? 
I think you can think of it a little less like an alliance and a little bit more almost like a protection racket that North Korea is operating against China. North Korea's leaders are in this position to be able to say, hey, China, nice, stable border situation you have there. Sure would be a shame if anything happened to it. Interesting. And so I think it's led to this kind of odd power dynamic where China seems like the senior partner in this relationship. But because North Korea is willing to kind of burn down everything that matters to both sides and China isn't, they actually have a lot of power in the relationship. What is China giving to North Korea day in, day out that it needs? What aren't they giving? Uh, coal, oil, I mean, they're propping up this economy that otherwise would barely exist. I mean, this country has almost no exports other than missile systems. Right. They control all of the trade along its border. They control this black market along the Chinese-North Korean border that basically keeps food supplies running. They control basically North Korea's relationship with the outside world because China is seen as kind of the only country that can reason with them. And what North Korea provides is not blowing up. Got it. So this is like a distant, I know you're supposed to be doing the metaphors, but this is like a relative you don't want to upset too much, so you kind of just leave alone, but you make sure you invite them to Thanksgiving, but you put them at a certain place at the table. Yeah, and China is sort of, you know, the one cousin who can reason with this relative, so gets all the messages being like, tell her that she's invited to Thanksgiving, but we don't want another scene like last year, because that was horrible, and, you know, we wouldn't uninvite her, but come on. All right, I want to bring this back to the United States for just a minute. Given the relationship that you have just described between China and North Korea, yes. mm-hmm. how does that influence our relationship, the U.S. relationship with China? So this afternoon we have received formal confirmation from North Korea that it will freeze the major elements of its nuclear program. Wouldn't it be great? Last night the government of North Korea proclaimed to the world that it had conducted a nuclear test. If this problem could just be magically solved by China is the question that every president who has ever faced this crisis has asked. China clearly has a stake as to whether or not North Korea has a nuclear weapon. And when I say our allies on this issue, I consider not just South Korea and Japan, but Russia and China to be our allies. All of us have the same interests and the same desires. In my meeting with President Xi, we emphasize the importance of full implementation of the UN sanctions uh, that have been put forward. And China always says like, well, it's our issue, but we'll try to exert some pressure. And you're also doing things that we think are destabilizing. But basically, it's like fifth on our wish list, not because we think it's fifth most important of our issues with China, but because we keep learning over and over that we ask them to fix it, but they never seem to be able to. I want to ask you guys both, what is the best possible outcome of the U.S. working with China right now to lower the temperature and defang North Korea and its nuclear program at the moment? Well, so there are kind of three scenarios that you hear about. There's the the strategic patient scenario, which is what we had under Obama. Um, there's the... Wait, uh, I need you to explain that. Oh, sure. So strategic patients was basically let's cross our fingers, not do anything and hope that it works out for the best. Gotcha. North Korea comes around on its own, which 
uh, it didn't work out great. Option number two is let's make a deal, which is that we find a set of mutually agreeable terms by which North Korea freezes rather than abandons because they, they won't give it up. They just won't. Got it. Uh, freezes its nuclear and missile programs in place in exchange for which we make a set of concessions that under basically any set of terms that would meet North Korea's minimal standards and would replace what they think they are going to get out of continuing to grow their program would be incredibly costly for the United States. Number three is the John R. Bolton scenario. The, the real issue is whether we're going to take this seriously enough to do the only thing that really uh, can eliminate this threat, and that's to work with China and others in the region uh, to, to get the Korean Peninsula reunified. As long as the North Korean regime exists, this nuclear threat will exist. Let me come back to China in a moment. And Bolton is? John Bolton was the former uh, George W. Bush administration ambassador to the United Nations, noted hawk and mustachioed man about town. He has been calling for a while to say that we should bring about the collapse of the North Korean state. Mm -hmm. I think the idea that we're going to negotiate with North Korea over this has been a delusion for a long time. Uh, one more question. This would almost certainly involve a nuclear conflict, but... He said, and I think he is actually correct, this is the only way to completely remove their nuclear weapons programs. And I asked some analysts about that, and they said, yeah, Bolton is right. All right, but Max, which one of those three scenarios do we believe that China is best equipped to get us to? I think they are in the best position to manage the status quo. And it's strategic, what they would, patience. Strategic, yeah, strategic patience. Strategic patience, yeah. They would kind of like to keep it. They Got would it. like to see some changes around the margins. They would like North Korea to step back its nuclear ambitions, and they would like to see us step back from the Korean Peninsula. So it's actually a little bit closer to a deal, but they can't make that deal happen. In order for it to happen, we have to reach a point of desperation where we are willing to make extreme sacrifices, which I don't think we are currently at. Got it. Amanda, yes. Donald Trump wants to use economic pressure to enlist China's help right now. And he has basically said, I am willing to exchange my campaign promise to label China as a currency manipulator, as someone who does economic harm to the U.S., if they will help me solve the North Korean nuclear problem. So I think there's this pretty fundamental misconception that a lot of people have about international relations, which is that the way to get things done is to sort of start at the top of a proxy client relationship and exert pressure and that that'll sort of trickle downhill. And actually, that turns out not to work very well. Well, in this issue of like the great power not being able to control the proxy, I find that when I try to convince Americans of that, they are super skeptical until I mention Israel. And then they kind of go, oh, that's right. <laughs> because like the whole world thinks that much as we think that China can fix North Korea, basically the whole world thinks that the United States controls Israel and that the only reason that Israel builds settlements is because we gave them the thumbs up to do it and they would stop if we only told them to stop. Right. When in fact, Americans know that it's like the exact opposite. We are telling them constantly and have been for the last 20 <laughs> years, please stop building settlements, please, please, please. And what happens every time we try to punish them is they approve new settlements specifically to show us up and specifically mm -hmm. to prove that we can't control them. I'm getting a sense of this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there a chance that this Trump strategy of relying on China could work? What do you mean by work? Is it going to produce a regime change and total lack of nuclear weapons? Sure. No. 
could it deter North Korea in a meaningful way and set back their nuclear program and their ability to launch a nuclear weapon? I, I just don't think so because when you look at the strategic calculus behind North Korea's drive behind these weapons, it is driven by a sincere and frankly rational belief that unless they produce these weapons, they will be at an unacceptable level of existential risk from their external security situation. This is kind of a fundamental international relations principle is think of two sets of adversaries as like a seesaw. Right now, tiny little North Korea is on the opposite end of a seesaw from the United States, the world's uh, most powerful country, and Japan, its third largest economy, and South Korea. Um, how is it going to balance that out? Well, it doesn't have much of an economy. It's not extremely technologically advanced. What it can do is take on an extreme amount of risk by developing these nuclear and missile programs, holding everyone under that risk so that we'll basically back off even though we have this tremendous superiority. The value of nuclear weapons for North Korea and every other country that has them is that it makes a conflict with that country too costly to fight even if its adversaries could ultimately win it. Nothing that China can do can change that logic. There are difficult and costly ways to get at this problem, but pretty, pretty pleasing Beijing is not one of them. Hmm. The thing that I love about these ideas is that it's always premised on the notion that like Xi Jinping has not realized that having a rogue, unpredictable nuclear state on right. its border is like maybe not ideal. Right. And someone is going to call him up and be like, this isn't great. He'll be like, oh, you're right. We were going <laughs> to unplug the nukes, but we never considered that until you raised it. <laughs> like this is a terrible situation for them. They are enduring far greater risk than we are, frankly, and we're, we're enduring a lot of risk from this. All of these missiles can reach Beijing already. General consensus is... 2020 or the early 2020s when they have a missile that can reach the West Coast and probably shortly thereafter can reach the East Coast. So it is entirely possible that within President Trump's tenure, if he does not solve this problem, which no other president has been able to do, that he will leave office with North Korean nukes able to reach American cities, which is scary. Max, Amanda, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Great. Cheers. Bye. On Sunday, Vice President Mike Pence arrived in South Korea, where he began a 10-day tour of Asia. Under President Trump, Pence said of North Korea's nuclear provocations, our resolve has never been stronger. Here's what else you need to know today. The president of Turkey, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, has been given sweeping powers that his opponents fear will effectively grant him one-man rule. In a watershed referendum on Sunday, the people of Turkey narrowly voted to end the country's system of parliamentary government and put almost all power in Erdogan's hands. Turkey, a crucial U.S. partner, remains in a state of emergency since last summer's attempted coup by members of the military. And the referendum was conducted in an atmosphere of fear, with several opponents of the changes shot or beaten as they campaigned against it. And a federal judge has halted an extraordinary plan by Arkansas to execute eight convicted murderers in 10 days. The state had raced to perform the execution, starting today, because it was running out of a key drug used in lethal injections, a sedative called midazolam. As The Daily reported a few weeks ago, midazolam is highly controversial and may fail to sufficiently sedate prisoners. The judge in the case embraced that argument, writing, 
quote, if midazolam does not adequately anesthetize the death row inmates, or if their executions are botched, they will suffer severe pain before they die. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably been hearing a lot about the stock market lately. Millions of people are beginning to invest for the first time ever. And we're realizing that the financial system should be built to work for us. That's why Robinhood is creating real human education resources, truly digestible financial news, and a platform that lets you invest in your own way, on your own terms. The next generation of investors is already here, and it includes you. Robinhood. Investing is risky. Robinhood Financial, LLC.